Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, The Athletic Zone, Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing, man? I am doing well. What an eventful weekend and an eventful Monday so far, too. It certainly is. We're going to dig into the Monday hangover today, talk about some of the games that we did not hit on the Sunday Night Recap podcast, chat a little Dolphin Steelers, talk about Dak's return with Dallas, a controversial ending in Ravens-Browns. But before we dig into any of that, let us start with The biggest news of the day that applies to a game we were already going to talk about, Matt Ryan has been benched by the Indianapolis Colts. This comes independent of the news about his grade two shoulder separation, I think is what they're calling it. It wouldn't have mattered. If he were healthy, he still would be going to the the bench in favor of Sam Ellinger. That is a sentence, Mike Sando. (sighs) I feel like Jim Ursay had one of those owners' meetings moments, like when Jerry Jones said, don't F with me to Robert Kraft. I think he said, don't F with me, we're, we're doing this. I just don't believe that this was a, an organic decision made by the head coach, who, by the way, in the locker room or after after the locker room session yesterday, Sunday, was like, yeah, you know, I, shoot, I got to call that better. I got to get that in there sooner for me. He's, t- he's covering for Matt Ryan on an interception or two, and and we all know Frank Reich, he loves the partnership with the veteran quarterback. I mean, I think that's what they've done. Rivers, Wentz, who he's with, they got guys who are sort of friends of Frank. And uh, I just don't see, after seven games, with all the stuff going on around him, that he would be doing this. Do you agree? Yeah. And just hard to believe that we've reached this moment. Like, even if you were relatively down on the Colts, yeah. And the idea that Matt Ryan, this version of Matt Ryan, maybe wouldn't be a huge upgrade over what Carson Wentz was last year. The thought that by week eight, Matt Ryan could be going to the bench in favor of Sam Ellinger, and that's where the Colts could be, that was still far enough away that it, to me it's not even fathomable. But what Frank Reich said today that I thought was particularly interesting, in the same vein of covering for his quarterback, he said, we didn't hold up our end of the bargain with Matt. We promised him the best running game in the league. We promised him really good protection, and that didn't happen. And I think that's kind of where I want to steer this conversation about the Colts is that we've arrived in this moment because everything about how we understand the Colts has deteriorated to this point. It's not just the play of Matt Ryan, but it's every aspect of how they've built this roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball, has taken us to where we are right now. Yep. And before I address that, what do you think Sam Ellinger, who's never played, needs? Do you think he needs an offensive line and a run game and all that stuff? Or do you well, think that's... without ever playing in the NFL, we're going to commit to nine freaking games or 10 or whatever it is, nine, 10 games? Well, 
I, I we could talk about that because I think that yeah. talk that brings us to what happens after this. But before uh, but, we do that, I want to talk about yeah, how we got yeah, here so, and what that means. Yeah. So the team, I believe, was built properly to win with Andrew Luck. I think we all agreed in the early stages of Chris Ballard that, hey, they were fortifying the line because he was shell-shocked, basically. I mean, he was really uh, taking too many hits. And, and so they built the line for him. They were building the defense enough. Uh, they didn't need an amazing defense because they had Luck, who was top five quarterback when he's healthy. Uh, but they had to have the line to protect him, and they built one. But what we found out and why Zach Kiefer, our friend and colleague, has a six-part uh, podcast series that everyone should listen to, <laughs> it was too late. He was hurt. He lost his will to play. He retired. So then they had this team that just needed a quarterback. But this regime, I think a criticism or at least an analysis of Chris Ballard and these guys is they've always been a team in it for the long haul. They've never made that many moves other than the Wentz move. But even that wasn't completely all in. They haven't been a team that makes many moves for now. Uh, DeForest Buckner, you could throw in there. But I felt like they sort of stayed the course and tried to plug these quarterbacks into this roster they still thought was good. And then meanwhile, over time, that window they had to win big with luck closed and is closing now. And they didn't go get a left tackle when everyone said they had to have one. They didn't go get additional speed at wide receiver when people said they needed to have it. Um, and they really didn't even go after a quarterback. The whole Ryan thing, they got rid of Carson Wentz, remember, without a plan. I mean, yes. a plan, they didn't have an alternative. They were waiting. They were. They just, their offseason move was to subtract Wentz. And, oh, Matt Ryan became available? Hey, let's do that. But... In the meantime, they've atrophied enough around the areas they built up to win with luck to put themselves in this weird place to where, like I think I wrote in my column today, they they probably could have won if any one of those things was a little bit off. But when 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 you're trying to win with Ryan being a little bit off, with the line being off, with the run game being off, uh, with the receiver position being okay but not having that speed, you're three, three, and one, and because your owner is tired of looking at it, here we are. I think I made the mistake of treating the last couple of Colts off seasons with this idea of, well, look at what they were with Rivers in 2020, and look at how close they got and look how competitive they were. They were a top 10 offense by the end of the season, and you know, you drop Carson Wentz in there last year, and you still have a really, really good running game, and you know if they improve from the uncertainty of Carson Wentz to the relative certainty of Matt Ryan. Where does that bring their offense if you bring back the running game? There were aspects of the 2020 offense and the 2021 offense that I thought would just remain stable over time. And you would just change out the quarterback. And that did not happen. The offensive line has seriously taken steps back to the point that it's one of the worst in the NFL on a game-to-game -game basis right now because of the pronounced weaknesses they have at left tackle and whatever position they're swapping between on the right side, whether it's right guard when Braden Smith's at right tackle or right tackle when Braden Smith's at right guard. Those holes have become huge. So I, that's my mistake. And that's where I think where I was wrong about this is that I was like, all right, the infrastructure is still similar enough where you're just swapping out the quarterback. And that's not true. And I think one of the reasons that the infrastructure isn't the same and it's not as strong is because the Colts found themselves in this terrible situation where they didn't have a quarterback worth going all in for. So they didn't have a sense of urgency in building up the supporting cast. But because they didn't have a quarterback going all in for, the supporting cast needed to be really good in order to sustain this model of quarterbacks. I think the plan was for them to just have this really good situation with nice pieces around the quarterback and a really hospitable place to play because of Frank Reich. And eventually, they would get the guy in there who could take them over the top as they stayed 9, 10, 11 wins. But the lack of urgency in building everything else up because they didn't feel like it was time has torn down that infrastructure to the point that it's no longer a hospitable or attractive place forever the quarterback yeah. is going to And be. when you have a quarterback who cannot create whatsoever, when, when things go wrong, you need one out of three times or whatever the percentage is, that guy to make something good happen. And everything has to be exactly right for, for Matt Ryan. 
you know, he otherwise it's he's going to have people in his lap and he can't get out of the way. And when you think about what they've done, uh, Luck, of course, could I think that's why he got hurt partly. But Luck was amazing on the move, run, pick up third and 13, run for 15. He could do all of that stuff. They went to Rivers, can't do any of that stuff, but could get it out quick. Uh, still had a lot left. Probably, I think, should have brought him back a second year. They talked themselves into Carson Wentz, but Rivers would have played in that. I year. think if Rivers had wanted to come back, they they probably would have taken Rivers back, wouldn't they? No, I think he wanted to come. I think he was open to coming back, and they were looking to do something that, with a little bit longer term. And uh, oh, I do believe that. And and Wentz was somebody who had been with uh, was younger, perceived upside. Frank was with them. We let's let's do that. I think that I think that uh, Rivers would have played if they would have pursued him to play. That's heartbreaking um, because th- that's part of the reason that they're in this situation is because trading that first round pick for Carson Wentz is the biggest mis- miscalculation in this entire thing. They had multiple chances to go out and get a left tackle. In 2021, they're in range to draft Christian Derrissaw. They draft Quiddy Pay, who ha- has not been a world beater by any stretch. And then if they keep the pick in the Carson Wentz trade, they're in range to potentially get a Trevor Penning or somebody like that. I'm not playing all these sliding doors moments is often a little bit misleading, but I do think that the lack of resources because they made the Wentz trade and then having to get off of the Wentz trade so quickly, that's how we get into this place. And now I don't know what happens next. Like I truly don't know how this all ends because seemingly they're going to be bad enough with Sam Ellinger, I would guess to be in range of a top five pick and in a position to possibly draft a quarterback. But are Frank Reich and Chris Ballard going to get to oversee what that process looks like? I don't know. I don't think Should that they? both are. You know, I don't I don't think that both of them are. I I feel like what we see is when things go bad, we see an overreaction by the owner. And so think of the Wentz situation. Look, it was a tough year with the COVID stuff and then, you know, whatever they lost to Jacksonville. Uh that was tough, but he had you know the twenty-seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. It was a little miragey, but he but he was he wasn't terrible. I mean, he, he, there were a lot of things you didn't like about him, but the owner's reaction was not only. I mean, this is like this was like a crime of passion the way you went after him. You know, I mean, it was they trashed the hell out of Carson Wentz. It wasn't enough to just say, hey. You know, this didn't work out. We're going to go in the direction we wish Carson the the best. You just heard about what a zero Carson Wentz was. And they got rid of him, like I said, without an alternative. They just wanted the addition by subtraction. So now what happens? You're seven weeks in. It's going tough. And Matt Ryan throws a couple terrible interceptions yesterday, and they lose to Tennessee. Well, it's not Matt Ryan's fault that there's five years of losing to Tennessee, and they're sick of it. And, and, and they're sick of, Ursay's sick of Vrabel being the best team in the division. And he's sick of all this futility at quarterback. And he's sick of trusting the coach to get this quarterback or that quarterback. So instead of having a, st- everyone keep calm, it's a long season. We just pull the whole plug. And by the way, Sam Elgner could be terrible for three weeks and they might have to go to Matt Ryan. Why would you even say it's permanent for the year? It's, not, it's permanent until he plays bad. What are you talking about? Weird. But they had to say, this is for the whole year. Who does that? I mean, I guess you. I guess people do that, but this guy's never played. Do you think, you think Matt Ryan never plays again? This guy gets hurt or plays terribly. They, there's a, a law now and you can't play him. It was just the whole handling of it to me feels like a heavy-handed ownership reaction even if it's the right move, because I think Matt Ryan does have to be held accountable. You make those plays, we can't have it. They lost for the first time in more than 20 years when the other team didn't score a touchdown on offense. That's on Matt Ryan to some degree when you're throwing pick six. But this is just like all of a sudden the nuclear button was pressed and we didn't even break the glass on the little uh, fire alarm yet. There's just so many different sliding doors moments. I've never used that term already. There's so many different sliding doors moments with this in the quarterback situation. What if they just roll with Jacoby Percent for two more years? Cleveland fans they're, might have an opinion on that. But they're probably in better shape. 
if if you never if you just keep going with Jacoby Brissett until you have to get to a place where, place where it's just like all right, and we need a new quarterback, and you have all the resources, and you could have used that Carson Wentz pick to go get somebody on offense. Like all of these, all of this shuffling at this position has brought them ultimately to a worse place, a considerably worse place than where they started right after Andrew Luck retired. I don't even think that's arguable. So. In order to make that happen, your offensive designing and play calling head coach has to want to go to work with that guy. And I don't know. And that's what he, the problem. And that's I don't the know concern, what he thought right? of Jacoby Brissett, but I'm sure he thought he was a great guy and tough. But he had other guys he wanted to call plays for, and that he thought he could fix and and help and all of that. And for the most part, hasn't been able to do that for a variety of reasons. This all feels to me, because I still think Frank Reich is a pretty good offensive football coach, and I don't think we should just forget the fact that they were borderline top 10 offenses over the last two years with Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz, and they did have the league's best run game last year, and they did have a really, really efficient offense by the end of the season during Rivers' first year. They just haven't figured out the quarterback spot, and that's led to problems elsewhere because you can't be this patient when you need a quarterback that needs everything built up around him. So are we going to get to a point where Frank Reich gets fired right now and potentially lands somewhere else that maybe has a quarterback or can draft a young quarterback and he gets a second chance at this? Because I'd probably be willing to give it to him. Yeah, I think you have to uh, you have to figure out what makes a good play caller and what makes a good head coach. And, you know, I think the thing that gets you hired or gets – is appealing to someone hiring someone who calls the plays is their history working with quarterbacks. How did these quarterbacks do? Do they do better with this coach than they did with other players and with other coaches? And I don't know that that record is there uh, for them, but it hasn't been terrible. Like you said, they've been top 10. Shoot. I drafted yeah, Jonathan I don't Taylor know what second I would overall. Say that. I drafted Jonathan Taylor second overall in my fantasy league. So, you know, I thought he was going to have think- a big year. I think that the version of of Philip Rivers that they got and even the version of Carson Wentz that they got are probably really good versions of those quarterbacks at that time. All right, I'm working And I think they're – and I I, I mean uh, what they were supposed to be, I feel like those are positive results from those two guys in those two seasons. Eventually, Wentz fizzles out and he's bad. But look at what Wentz is doing in Philadelphia or in Washington. Think about what Wentz was in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz for – Good long stretches of last year with the Colts was the best version of Carson Wentz that we've seen in a couple of years. So I just don't think, and Matt Ryan now is just, it looks like he's totally shot. So maybe I'm just trying to explain this away for Frank Reich, but I also so, don't think he made the moves. He made yeah. the bets. So they deserve, that deserves to get rest at his feet. But I still yep. think with, if Frank Reich goes to a situation where he has a quarterback who's like 27 years old and in his prime, what could it end up looking like? I still think it could look pretty good. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to grant you this. So I called up Carson Wentz's year by year for his career. Okay. And of course the 2017 season, you know, was his best one. But in 2019, his second to last season with the Eagles, he had a pretty good year. It's going to sound very familiar to you, Robert. 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, you know, 0.05 EPA per pass play. Okay, so then he has the crater year with the Eagles. Terrible. Uh, almost as many interceptions as touchdowns falls off. Well, in 2021, Took 50 the Colts, sacks. Yeah, in 2021, the Colts, he goes back to exactly what he was in 2019. 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, passer rating within 1 point, EPA per pass play right there, 0.02, it was 0.05 before, EPA per pass attempt within a hundredth of a tick, okay? Uh, the sack numbers within 5, the sack percentage within a tenth. I mean, you can't, you couldn't tell them apart. If I put these two next to each other and blind tested you, you, me, the head of Elias Sports Bureau, Brian Burke at ESPN, anybody couldn't tell you what year was what. They're, they're identical. So I will say Frank Reich got not the very best Carson Wentz, but the pre-what-the-hell-happened-to-this-player version. He got that. So we can grant him that and say that that's probably as good as Carson Wentz is ever going to look again. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I think that's the argument for would you let him work with your quarterback if you feel a little bit better about that quarterback? Or if you're a team, I don't know, if you're Carolina, right? And you're 
looking for a head coach and you know you're about to pick in the top three and you're going to get a quarterback, would you be okay with having Frank Reich oversee that quarterback? I yeah, don't yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Now, the selection of that quarterback and deciding who I want to be quarterback with and deciding how I'm going to hold that quarterback accountable, it's felt to me a little partnershipy in a for players who have something to prove. Now, Frank Reich may have a great way to uh, discuss that and certainly knows more about coaching the quarterback position than I'm ever going to know. But I was really struck listening to him in the locker room yesterday or after the game talking about kind of going to bat for Matt Ryan. And I feel like some accountability um, and public accountability isn't always a bad thing. And I don't know that I've felt that there. There's been all of a sudden accountability. You're out of here, Wentz, and you feel like it's the owner. You're out of here, Matt Ryan, and you feel like it's the owner. Um, so that would be maybe potentially one component that I would ask him about if I was uh, you know, going to try to make that decision. Hey, what did you learn through this experience? What do you think you did uh, wrong, could have done better? Because I, th- I do think from talking to him and being around him a little bit that he's a smart guy who uh, – is good at coaching the quarterback and would be honest in his own evaluation. All right. Let's talk about the Titans here a little bit. I, there's not much to say about the Titans, except the Titans always just do this. Like the Titans are always just winning games and winning enough games to win the AFC South and win these ugly games and do just enough. Like when I watch the Titans right now, obviously they're still able to run the ball. I'm going to say fairly efficiently, but it's not that efficient. They they run the ball like just enough. Like the foundation of their offense being Derrick Henry in this downhill play action passing game is still what it is. And they get just enough out of that with pretty good quarterback play for the most part for Brian Tannehill to like be functional on offense. And then their defense does a lot of really good stuff. They make it hard on you no matter who's playing on the back end. Like their, their corners right now are a rotating group. Like Roger McCreary played on the outside for the majority of his snaps for the first time on Sunday. They're still trying to figure that out. And they're consistently just making it difficult on the teams that they play against. Like they're just well coached. They're really competitive and they are navigating this kind of weird in-between season after trading A.J. Brown better than I ever assumed that they would. And they deserve a ton of credit for how they navigate situations like this, situations like the cratering year last year because of the injuries, all of that stuff. And I think just at a certain point, like Mike Vrabel's really, really good at getting the most out of the players on his team. Yep. I've talked to some people who played against them and, you know, even some of the players that they, you know, they've had occasionally up front or other places on defense you know, the eye test, you're like, huh? But the way they play, fundamentally perfect, just really well coached, really playing well together. They're great. We haven't seen it as much this year, but, you know, they're that great defensive front that gets you to jump at the opportune time. Their, their technique is really good. And then they do kind of have a knack as a team for making the critical play in the critical time. And you watch yeah. the game. I'm watching that game yesterday. And look, no one's scoring much. It's... Ryan Tannehill doesn't look that good. I mean, shoot, he's thrown it out to the flat and the the back has to reach and catch it at his shins. There's there's nothing where there's no wow factor. And then third quarter, minute three left, first and ten, plus forty-eight. Tannehill's got Austin Hooper with a linebacker on him and a safety closing. And he puts it on him for a twenty-three yard gain. Gets you into field goal range, leading thir- thirteen to seven. It's just one of the plays in the game. No one's going to put that on and say, "Hey, did you see that amazing play that Tannehill made?" But it was the perfect play at the perfect time. Later in the fourth quarter, five thirty-three, third and six, minus forty-four. You're up sixteen to ten. There's a, I think it's Hooper again makes that double catch. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like. That would have been one of those hospital balls 10 years ago because the safety would have, whoever was coming in would have just ear him. But instead, that guy's going for the ball, double catch, gets it. And you're like, wow, that, that's exactly what we needed with 533 left on third and six. Uh, and then two minutes left, fourth quarter, they're up 19 to 10, second and eight. Henry pops one for 21 and we're kneeling down. I mean, it's just an, it's just a great situational football. When they had to have a play, they make it. This team just doesn't have much of a receiver. You know, they're relying on Robert Woods. Even Traylon Burks is hurt. 
and they're throwing the ball to Jacob Hollister and Austin Hooper and whoever's playing tight end for them. Dennis Daly is their left tackle. Their pass protection in normal dropback situations is really rough right now, and they're just making just enough plays. Like I just don't know what to make of them in the long term. I don't know what the next phase of this looks like. Like in 2023, when it's about more than winning a shitty AFC South and getting bounced in the wild card round. But at a certain point, who cares? Like we'll figure that out in 2023. Like they're doing just enough yet again to win this awful division when everyone else is either getting excited about the Colts in the preseason, like I am, or getting excited about the Jaguars over the first month because they're doing some things and looking like they have a pulse. When in reality, like this Titans team is just going to keep doing this nonsense and they're going to keep being relevant in this division until someone one takes it away from them and that's at a certain point like that's just how it's going to be and almost no one in the league can explain it they just default to Vrabel well really well coached Vrabel you know and I'm kind of right there with them because I think you that's can pick all I apart, got you can pick apart some of the moves uh they make a lot of the moves and you can look at the roster and you can have concerns here or there you can say what you want about Tannehill you can say about trading AJ Brown and I agree they're I'm with you they're not going to go to the Super Bowl but uh they are just a tough tough team to play. They did scare me with that uh, handoff to Malik Willis. I don't know if you caught that. I mean, one. that, that was, was. I mean, you almost you lose can't that game can't because walk, of that. and and that got a little cute. But you know, I'm sure it looked good on the on the uh, whiteboard or whatever on Thursday, and they probably maybe they busted. We're going to bust it, but that was about the only thing I could really uh, fault them for in that situation, leading sixteen to seven with a first and ten from the plus forty four. So the one stat I did want to throw out: they are second in the NFL this season an EPA per drop back on defense on third down. Quarterbacks have a 35 point, a 34.5 passer rating against them on third down this season. Yes, and they they had some games, Robert, where the, the other team was like one of 11 on third down. I, I noticed that earlier. They And they're not blitzing a ton. They have one of the lowest blitz rates in the league, but they bring a lot of simulated pressures. They just make it hard on you. And that's what they were on defense last year. They didn't necessarily have the best personnel all over the place, but the bones of what they are on defense, all the different coverages they play, you know, when they're playing on the back end, you're not exactly sure what it is, who's coming and who's not. The way that it's structured is just there to make it difficult on you. And that's those are the results that they're getting on third down. And I think that Shane Bowen deserves a lot of credit over the last couple of years for what that defense has looked like with him in charge. And I think similar to Vrabel and similar to everything else, the staff in general they are consistently just putting their guys in a spot to like, all right, we're going to get the most out of you. I don't know what that looks like based on the guys that we have right now, but we're going to get the most out of this group as a whole. The whole is so much better than the sum of the parts with this team. And they've got a guy who lives in town there who I don't even know that he's in the building every day. He's got a title. It's senior defensive assistant. His name's Jim Schwartz. Very good at what he does. I think he's been a nice person to have involved in what you're doing defensively with a little bit of an undefined role, but I think he's really good. And I think he's been there a couple of years, and I think that's probably a real nice asset for them. Hey, look at it. It's like a little bit of cover one, a little bit of cover two, a little bit of cover three, a little quarters, a little six, not blitzing a lot. And I, I wish we had like simulated pressure numbers that, that were available to us. Unfortunately, we don't have those. I guarantee yes, you that we'll they're up near the top because uh, talking to defensive coaches this summer, several of them mentioned some of the things that the Titans were doing in some of those moments. And we, we talked last week about how prevalent that idea and bringing a non-traditional four and you know, not blitzing, but still making it a little bit uneasy on the offense. The Titans have been doing that for the last couple seasons, and I think they're getting a lot out of it. So, you know, credit to them because they deserve a lot of credit for how they've been able to sustain this, even with a lot of questions about their personnel and whether they, who they have on both sides of the ball. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. All right, let's get to our next one here. Dolphins and Steelers, two returns. 
Dolphins end up pulling out an ugly one. Your initial impressions about the Dolphins offense with Tua back in the fold here. Okay, so I think there's two lenses to look this through, through, and I think I'm shifting away from the big picture lens of, hey, is Tua going to be here next year? What's this going to look like? How are we building your team around him? I think that's the wrong lens to look at it for when you have a player coming off, you know, the concussion, the investigation, you know, we were just concerned about his well-being. So for me, just seeing him out there, seeing him play a whole game, seeing a couple times when he, you know, ran and, and dove for, for extra yardage, one time kind of unnecessarily taking a little bit of contact there. I thought that in itself was a positive for them. Now, everyone's going to focus on the 38 balls that could have been intercepted. Totally understand it. <laughs> I think that's a fair thing to talk about. Certainly, uh, I'm sure he's heard about it, that at this point. But um, they finished this game with 10 explosive pass games, meaning they passed the ball and they gained more than 15 yards. Okay, That's the most for a Dolphins team since 2012 week four against Arizona, 165 games. And it didn't feel, it really feel like that at all. But I think that's a great sign for a, an offense that's just trying to have some continuity, build something with Tua, get some consistency. Yeah, he's not, he's not amazing, but he's pretty darn accurate for the most part. And for all the ones that could have been picked off, I, I starred two plays, Robert. So 10.54 left first quarter, second and three from the plus eight. He puts it on Mike Gusecki's helmet, hits him in the face. I don't know if the ball was tipped or something. He hit the guy in the face. Beautiful. Right in there. There wasn't much room. Hit him in the face. Didn't catch it. Tough. 9.39 second quarter, second and seven, minus 40. It looks like Tua just flat misses Tyreek Hill. But. For whatever reason, Hill slowed his route, started to throttle it down. I don't know what was going on. By the time he tried to get the ball, it went right in front of him. And I couldn't tell for sure, but it looked like it could have been one of those. He just, boom, goes out the back door, big gain. So you throw those couple misses, 10 explosive plays. Yes, the ball was pinballing around too much. But from where he was at two weeks ago, let's get it. We're on the next week for me. How about you? I kind of feel like, and Mike McDaniel said this today, you know, the timing on some of those yak opportunities was off yesterday, and you could feel that. And this is a guy that hasn't played in a couple weeks. So the idea that the timing is a little bit off does make sense to me. For whatever this version of the offense is, I still think that the way they've constructed this, with him just peppering the ball into open space because of the juice and the motion and all of the different things they have to make defenses uneasy, I still think that he can be a pretty good point guard of this offense. The problem is, in those moments where he's a little bit inaccurate or the decision-making is bad, that's the problem because he is still physically limited. He is always going to be physically limited as a quarterback. So the precision and the timing and getting everything out of those short to intermediate throws, that always has to be precise for him, for them to reach their ceiling as an offense as long as he's their quarterback. So if that stuff isn't going to be there, that's where I get concerned. But if you have confidence about the timing and the precision and all of those aspects being better as he's back for a little bit longer, and all he needs to do is keep the train on the tracks because the skill position talent is so dynamic, then I can understand being bullish about that kind of eventuality. Totally. This is a guy who didn't play golf for a month and then went out to the first tee without hitting a bucket. And we're like, yeah, you were not in your rhythm. I felt like that completely. Now, early on, I thought they had some nice stuff going in the run game. I thought his mechanics were good. Great deception by him. Can out his fakes. He was really on point with one of the uh, the zone read plays. Good decision there. So I saw a little bit of that. And then it was a little bit scattershoot after that. But I I see no reason to think that without you know a little bit more that some of those points will come together. I do think he's accurate you know we, we do believe that maybe maybe that was a little off at times yesterday but I think that's his strength that's what he can do well and we can talk later for me about you know the limitations and all that and what other opportunities I might have for a different quarterback I just kind of want to see him play week to week and that's a test for him to pass too because he hasn't been able to do that I just wonder what their ceiling is in the short term and, and the only reason it's really that important is because what are they going to do in the long term? Do they want to commit to him? Is he going to be the guy? It feels like we're trending to a place where if it continues at this rate, he's absolutely going to be their quarterback next year. He's got a $9.6 million cap hit next year. They have right now, as of this moment, before doing anything, 
they have about $18.8 million in cap space. They no longer have two first-round picks, but they still have a first-round pick. So they have a chance to kind of keep building this thing up around them with the receiving talent that they've already added. So with one more offseason, with you know their defensive backs being healthier than they are right now, what does this team ultimately look like? So I think that I'm still ultimately bullish on the way that they've built this thing. And I do think that last night, even with some squandered opportunities, is kind of one more step in that direction. Yep. And this is one of those where right now it can be, hard. oh, geez, what are they going to do? But the, it'll resolve itself. There's a lot of time left. He's either going to play all the games and it's going to look pretty good, or he's going to play the games and it doesn't look that good, or he's going to miss some of the games, right? It'll answer itself. I think that's why you need the rest of the season to make that decision. And so far, the answer is he hasn't been able to be on the field. So that that's the number one concern um, for him first. With the Steelers, I definitely have my concerns about where things are right now. Right. I mean, just you have Kenny Pickett and a lot of people were saying this last night. I think it is. I think it's right. Kenny Pickett is somebody who wasn't necessarily a high ceiling prospect because he doesn't have overwhelming physical tools. And he wasn't really pro ready because a lot of the work he did at Pitt was him making plays out of structure and making plays on the move and kind of being an improvisational quarterback. But the problem is he doesn't really have the tools to be that sort of quarterback in the NFL, but he's also not somebody that you can drop into a well-constructed system and just have him run it right away. This is also not a well-constructed system. So there are just so many aspects of this where I'm like, I don't know what he's supposed to be right now, and I don't know what sort of changes you have to make to get the most out of him over the next two years. And I think those are the sort of questions that the Steelers have to start answering for themselves. I agree completely. I mean, do you think they're going to have the same offensive coaching next year? They can't. Based on the way this is going, they can't. But I, I don't really, I don't necessarily know the best system to put him in or what you want to get out of him. Like he can make some plays. He made some plays with his legs yesterday. Some of the best things that he did. But for the most part, he looks like a guy who really can't win the same ways in the NFL that he won in college. So how is he going to find ways to win? And I, I just don't know the answer to that. And, and I don't know if they do. I think they need a plan for that. I, I, we've talked about this before with Pittsburgh. It's a little bit of a time of transition. They're, they're a new general manager. Uh, like we said, we think there'll be new offensive coaching. They're obviously in a new quarterback world um, right now. And and I sometimes if you can't tell what the plan is from the outside, that's telling, right? Yeah, I just don't. If you're going to draft this guy in the middle of the first round and there was going to be any sense – that he could play in year one because he was going to be the better option than Mitchell Trubisky, which isn't necessarily saying a lot. Did we really think that just rolling it back with Matt Canada was the right plan for a rookie quarterback that you thought might have a chance to play? No, but things get done for the wrong reasons all the time in the NFL. So let's say you had concerns after last season if you're Mike Tomlin. Uh, you, you, you pull the plug after one year. You're admitting a big mistake if you do that. Not everybody likes to do that. I'm not saying that's the case there, but that's a guy gets a second year. That type of stuff happens. It's not always evaluated on what absolutely positively should be done. I think it's unfortunate, but it's a reality of all of our worlds and all of our jobs uh, that not everything gets done for the right reasons when they should get done. And here they are. In the most optimized way. In the most optimized way. That's just the way of the world. I would love to hear Mike Tomlin articulate to me why those decisions were made over the last two years, right? After you're moving on from Randy Fickner, and I get that, you know, Randy Fickner was the offensive coordinator for the Steelers because he was Ben Roethlisberger's guy. And the continuity there made sense. You're just going to elevate Randy because he's worked with Ben forever and you can still have the same bones at the same offense with the quarterback who's been there for 15 years. But then was there, was it necessary to elevate the quarterback coach who was there already, who was a college offensive coordinator that didn't really have a ton of success. You couldn't have gotten out and maybe hired someone that was like a proven NFL guy and tried to bring him in. And then when it didn't go well last year, was there any argument for why the structure of last year's offense needed to be what you had in place for the quarterback plan this year? I just I would love to know the reasoning behind how all of these decisions were made. 
I think instead you're going to get some platitudes or you're going to get some uh, general statements. I would love to see that interview as well, where he were, were to go into detail and explain exactly why. Uh, but that's just not Mike Tomlin. He's not going to do that. What do you think the answer is? Like, do you think there's any... I, I would love to hear the rationalization from your side of it. Robert, I wish I could explain it. I wish Tomlin would explain it. Maybe Ben Roethlisberger will come to one of the games and explain it to everybody. Uh, I'm at a little bit of a loss um, to feel exactly what the plan was. And like I said, I, I do have felt they're in a, a little bit of a transition period where Kevin Colbert stayed through the draft. They made the selection. Um, maybe we need to go back and listen to the draft commentary. Maybe that was when everybody was most honest on the day after they selected him. Everyone was excited because um, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me overall. I think there are a lot of other teams around the league that are being really intentional about why they're doing certain things around the quarterbacks that they have. And these could be quarterbacks that don't even exist. You know, I know that people are all down on the Falcons for throwing the ball 13 times while down two scores against the Bengals. The Falcons didn't draft Drake London and Kyle Pitts so that Marcus Mariota could throw the ball 50 times a game. Like, I, I understand it's frustrating to watch in real time, but this is a 2023 sort of thing. Like, they're trying to put the pieces in place here to build the infrastructure for the quarterback that they're eventually going to draft. And I think a lot of teams are doing that. The Lions are doing that right now, where you have the line and they're drafting Jamison Williams. And I think Ben Johnson has done a very good job as the Lions offensive coordinator. So you're trying to build these infrastructures and these little ecosystems for the quarterback. You're like, when we drop this guy in here, this is going to be great. And the Steelers have a receiving talent. Like, that part is in place. But the play calling infrastructure part of this was not, did not receive the same sort of attention and it received the same sort of thought that it probably should have if you were going to draft a guy in the first round. And I think that disconnect is what I'm staring at right now. And I think that disconnect is what has to change. All right, let's move on to our next game here. We'll talk about the Cowboys and the Lions. Dak's return for Dallas. What'd you think of Dak's first game back? Well, I didn't like the first play roll out to the left throw across our body. I mean, I, I, then I was like, shoot, are they going to really try to, uh, you know, Mahomesify this offense here on the first way out? But overall, I was fine with it. I, I would have liked some more scoring early on offense to take control. I think they would have just blown this out 48 to 3 if that had happened. It didn't happen. I think both teams had turnovers in deep and plus territory. But uh, I, from a DAC standpoint, I thought he was accurate. He seemed to make good decisions with the ball, uh, not just on passes, but also the zone read. They popped a big game with t Tony Pollard there. That was a nice play by him. Um, you wouldn't know it because of the flow of the game and the score being low, but the Cowboys in this game finished with season highs for completion rate, yards per pass attempt, passer rating, EPA per pass attempt, average air yards in relation to the sticks. Uh, for the first time this season, they were over 50% on my old let Russ Cook index just measures how often you <laughs> how often you uh, uh, pass on early downs in the first twenty eight minutes of the game. You know before we get into two minute and and second halves where the score differential matters. So there were some shifts in that direction. Um, I thought in all they they stayed in their same philosophy. This is a defensive team. They told us. I think they did that. I think Dak upgrades the quarterback position within that. And then we'll just have to see as they get. Uh, you know, against better teams or a, the defense has a bad day. I'm still not sure what the ceiling is for the offense. think they could use a weapon, but glad to have Dak back. I thought it was a nice stress-free game for him, uh, which quarterbacks love. I was fascinated to see. we had, There were some calls to the Cowboys coaching staff coming into Dak's return. Like, All right, the stuff you were doing for Cooper Rush, pressing the easy buttons for Cooper Rush – why don't we do some more of that with Dak that we haven't done over the last couple of years? And they did. Dak used play action on 52% of his attempts yesterday. They were under center on 57.6% of his snaps, both considerably higher than what they were last year or Dak's time with Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy. He was 11 of 13 for 121 yards off play action yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. watching that version of the offense based on who they are and their ability to run the ball a little bit, I think it makes a lot of sense. So this version of them, just with Dak in the Cooper Rush role, I think has a chance to be a pretty tough out for teams in the NFC. Absolutely. But we also saw glimpses first quarter 
106, second and eight. Dak rolls right, throws a strike to CeeDee Lamb, gain of 24. He's jumping and delivers the ball 32 yards from where he throws it, not, not past the line of screen, but 32 yards on the money with two defenders closing. Not a Cooper Rush play. So we saw some of that. That's but exactly it wasn't, right. But it wasn't about that. What you're saying is 100% true. It wasn't about that. But you had to look to see that that is there. I thought for his first game out, uh, you know, he looked better in his first game back for, for, for many weeks than Tua probably did, right? I mean, he just, he looked strong. He looked good to me. I was fine with it. But I'm glad they stayed in their structure of knowing, hey, we're a defensive team. That's a luxury for the quarterback. It's not about Russell Wilson. It's not about Dak Prescott. It's about the team. And when you start to lose sight of that, you do things for the wrong reasons. Yes, the quarterback's important. There's going to be a day where they need Dak to put it on his shoulders. We don't know for sure how that's going to go. But do what's best for the team. And that defense is so good and so legit now that you can do it and no one's asking about it. No one's talking about, oh, the offense only did this or that. Who cares? They choked out the Detroit Lions on TV. Pretty good. I think that his decision-making left a little bit to be desired on some of those throws. That's okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. again, first game back. But I love the overall just formula that they're trying to lean on. Well, another guy I wanted to point out on the offensive side of the ball, and they could absolutely use better weapons uh, outside of, of C.D. Lamb. And even with Michael Gallup back, I feel like one more kind of guy – in the passing game, a guy maybe built like Amari Cooper might, might be fairly helpful to who they would be right now. <laughs> yeah. But, and I know he had a fumble last yesterday inside the five. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Noah Brown made like three or four plays in this game as a receiver, like on a contested catch on a comeback. He had a big block on an, it, he inserted on Tony Pollard's huge run, just like yes. right in the B gap, muscling people up. Like he's just been somebody that has given them a decent amount this year. And, at a certain point, the coaching staff on this team and the personnel staff on this team deserve credit for their ability to consistently do this. Like They consistently have found these guys on both sides of the ball where it's like, man, that guy's playing pretty well right now. Like Dorrance Armstrong's playing pretty well right now. Like, oh, Donovan Wilson had a couple moments yesterday where he's playing pretty well for them. This happens a lot in Dallas and has over the last couple years. And I think that their ceiling offensively presented itself last year and was frustrating. But what they've been able to do with kind of the underlying pieces on this roster, I think is consistently impressive. And I think it's put them in the position that they're in right now where they're five and two, they're going to be a playoff team. And I think that they're going to be a pain in the ass for whoever they have to play in the playoffs. It's a really good point. I had made a note on Noah Brown too. You know, and it's unfortunate he got cartwheeled on that one there uh, late in the in the second quarter. But a great play down inside the five. Dak had another throw to him. You know, to the wide side of the field, connected. I think he referenced that. So that was very nice for them. I, I agree with you. I think I think this team's just in a pretty comfortable spot. I was kind of looking at the schedule, you know, to see, hey, because we don't know what we'll talk about Detroit. I don't know what they are, but um, you know, is there going to be a point in this season where they were the Dallas Cowboys, beneficiaries of playing in the NFC East, have to really step on the gas pedal. And we would have normally thought that would be Green Bay in week 10, but we'll see. You know, the Packers may disband and close their franchise by then. Um, <laughs> you know, is it Minnesota at Minnesota? Maybe that's a game where it gets a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, how many games on this schedule? Philly? Philly's there in week 16. That's their big test. But there's there's teams on And what do this- they look like against Philly with Dak? I think that is yeah. going to be the big question. That's a great question, and they get that one at home, and there will be expectations. And as we know, Cowboys with expectations hasn't always been a great thing. So maybe this defense is a great stabilizer for that, and uh, we'll see how it grows on offense. Jerry Jones, by the way, said probably not making a trade. I I think they need to. I think they could use a weapon. I think you've got, the, you've got a top five, top three defense. You, you've got enough, some pieces on offense, but, man, if they could get a guy, if they could get uh, – you know, one more piece in the receiving game, be very happy. And then not feel pressured that they have to use it all the time and change their formula. Yeah, they like, uh, that's a really good point. Dalton Schultz is a little bit banged up. 
you know, obviously he, he hurt his knee again yesterday on that awkward tackle. Uh, I hated that. Like, I, don't, I'm, I, I have to think about what, what names it would be like if Chase Claypool is really available and if you could trade like a third round pick for Chase Claypool and the Steelers would be down to do that. Is that somebody who could help this team? Like what would that person look like? I'd be interested to see them with one more piece. I, I really would. Yeah. Be. And the makeup of that person and the understanding they would have to have that this is a team you're coming into. We're not now just going to throw it all over the yard. There may be a game where you have two catches for 28 yards. Tough. But we're going to try to win and we're going to need you in one of the two of these games and especially in the playoffs when we really have to push it. And wouldn't you regret not doing that if such a move were available to you? Easy for me to say. I'm not naming a name, but uh, that's the job of the front office personnel department. All right. Let's talk about the Lions a little bit because the Lions are now one in five. (laughs) Okay. We had all these warm feelings about the Lions coming into the season. And I do think a lot of those warm feelings extended into the early part of the year. They were a top five offense by EPA and DVOA for the first several weeks of the season. The offensive line was doing great stuff. We were raving about the structure of their running game. They had all these explosive plays. Amon Ross St. Brown looked like he was really developing into a star level player. And now the last two weeks, they lay an egg on offense. I know that St. Brown got hurt again in this game. You know, we can make excuses if we want to. Swift but not at a playing, certain, whatever. Swift didn't play. At the, again, plenty of stuff. At a certain point, when do the good feelings have to turn into more wins? Is that necessary? Should it be necessary this year? Or is this still something where we can talk ourselves into, you know what? They need a quarterback. They're going to get a top three pick. If they get one, they drop him into the situation. They drafted Jamison Williams knowing it was a long-term thing. You can start to, again, talk yourself into the idea of this being a multi-year solution and the wins and losses maybe not being the most important factor here. The plant needs water along the way. You can't just have no water. And I feel like uh, through the force of his personality, Dan Campbell has helped to inspire some belief there. But you have to back it up with some results. I think early in the year, they almost beat the Eagles. They beat Washington. They were right there in a couple other games, the Seattle game. But when you're losing 29 nothing to New England and 24-6, to and when you have to pass, they're just sack fumbling you, like literally lunch money stealing on one of the plays uh, in the game yesterday. Took the ball away. Like walked up and took the ball away. Uh, that is humiliating. That is hard to rally from. That is hard to have the Dan Campbell identity. They went into the game and just tail between legs. We're going to run the ball in third and seven. And if we have to pass in a pure pass situation late in the game, we get zero chance. So I felt some of that's the matchup. They played two tough defenses, but you've got to get some results along the way. This can't be a two and 15 or it's just too hard. And you watch Dan Campbell up there. He struggles with that. He's emotional. Yeah, they didn't get great play out of Taylor Decker yesterday. Dan Skipper and some of those six offensive linemen sets, I mean, he gave up a pretty bad sack. So there are some moments where it's like, ah, you get a little bit better play here. So I I don't know where I stand on it. Like, I still think that if you're talking yourself into the actual structure of it and the long-term outlook, are they going to be able to do enough on offense where you're still optimistic by the end of the season based on the players that they have? I still tend to say yes. And then yeah. on defense, like... Akuda looked good again yesterday. It was the best game of Aiden Hutchinson's career. Like yeah. he had two legit sacks in that game, not just cleanup sacks like a lot of his others have been this season. So it's like, all right, if we can start to find some building blocks, I understand it's probably really frustrating. But at the same time, it's like, eh, you know, this is always going to be about 2023. It was always supposed oh, yeah, to be yeah. about 2023. Did we start to get a little bit ahead of ourselves? And is that initial excitement what's coloring the disappointment now that they're losing some of these games i think if i'm trying to, to sell it a little bit i would say look this is a 10 to 6 game i mean look there's there it turned a couple of times with the turnover here or there but it was a very close game for a lot of the way the Aiden Hutchinson point is great they let him rush from a two-point stance yesterday that hasn't been what he's been doing earlier it is what he did at michigan i think that's where how he's most comfortable boom sack and a half 17 percent pressure rate uh really went nicely for him so i think if you can uh, are they getting Jameson Williams in there too at some point? When's that happening? I think it's later in the season. So I mean, I think that was yeah, always so, the idea. So what I want to see is some of the people that you've prioritized there emerging and having the types of seasons that you thought they were going to have. 
Um, and hopefully, you know, not having to play a New England or Dallas type of team that can have a great defensive plan or both of those are on the road, by the way, too. So uh, they just have to get enough results along the way to chart your progress. Otherwise, it becomes hollow talk at a at a certain time. So, you know, we'll see. Their offensive line, pretty good in the run game. Do they go play Miami this week and get it done at home? I think they need to. One more thing I wanted to mention from this game, talk about kind of the lack of results from Dallas and the disconnect you were talking about between their efficiency throwing the ball and why they didn't score that many points. Yeah. Two of six on third and short in this game. So they, they really struggled on third down in this game, especially in short yarded situations. I think they had three third and ones that they didn't end up converting. And that explains the difference. Just an inability to sustain drives and an inability to sustain drives in situations where most of the time you're going to be able to get that yard. So if you're trying to, again, build an optimistic case for why they can score more than 20 points if Dak sure. looked that good in his return, I think that's part of it. Yep, I think that's a good point. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Maze. All right, last one here. Ravens at Browns. Ravens go to four and three. Browns go to two and five. You want to start with the yeah, call at so the end? Let's start at the call at the end because I watched this about a thousand times. So what we're talking about is uh, Ravens are up 23 to 20. That's the final score of the game. They end up winning. And the Browns, though, are moving into position for a longer field goal. They're going to line up for a 55-yard field goal. Uh, I believe with about 2.10 left in the game. I think they're above the two-minute warning. And then crazy things happen. There's a false start penalty that is attributed in the game book to number 68 left guard Michael Dunn. They asked Michael Dunn about it. He said, I don't think I moved. I agree with him. I watched it. Didn't move. Uh, the defensive left side jumped across the line. When this happens, if you watch the film of it, Number 36, Chuck Clark, is who's standing behind his own defensive line of the Ravens with a clear view of the center who has to be uncovered now under the current rules. He turns around and he's pissed off. Oh, I can't believe we jumped. So he thinks his guys jumped across. But then if you look over to the defensive right side, you see Geno Stone, number 26 over there. And he immediately turns to the officials and does like a hiking motion. You know, like if you asked a six-year-old, how do we hike? He would do like his hands, hike, hike. He's feverishly telling the official, the snapper moved the ball. That's what John Harbaugh said. Kevin Stefanski, coach of the Browns, denied that. But I agree with John Harbaugh. If you look at it, the center, a little bit of a movement there. And if you look... He just lifted that ball a little bit, and that's when the guys came across. So now your 55-yard field goal turns into 60. They actually didn't move the uh, hold back the full eight yards. They 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 kept it at the at midfield, so a little bit shorter there. They get it blocked, and it's another frustrating Browns loss in a close game that they thought they might have a chance for. I just don't know what to make of either of these teams right now. Like the Ravens, their passing game looks awful. They they just had an inability to consistently move the ball through the air yesterday. I know Andrews was hobbled, but it's not, and it's not like they have a plethora of receiving options outside of him. But yesterday, a lot of their gains in the passing game were like desperation plays 
combined with some of the chunks they got in the running game. So the Ravens offense just feels like it's stalled out to a certain degree outside of, all right, Lamar, like we're just going to roll the ball out and see what you can do. And then the Browns are in this place where the offense has looked fine under Jacoby, under Jacoby Percet. I think it still did yesterday. You know, yeah. they stalled out on some drives. They had a sack that ended up kicking them out of field goal range. They fumbled down in the red zone. Like, I, I just don't know what either of these teams are going to be this season. I really don't. Yeah, so this was the type of game that Cleveland thought they might be able to win as they sort of held serve waiting yes. for Deshaun Watson to come back, okay? And look at this game. So I looked at this statistically. The Browns won the game in def- offensive and defensive EPA. They won in both of those, okay? So teams over the last four years are 364, 14-2 and two, when they win both offense-defense EPA. The only way you can lose that is if it's special teams EPA swings it, which usually special teams, it's, it's in there, but it's not, it's not one third of the game. Well, the Ravens were a touchdown better on special teams in this game. And that's what, uh, allowed them to win the game. So when you look at the Tucker hitting from 55 yards, you look at Duvernay with the 46 yard return. There was a lot of those little plays on the special teams component, not to mention the, uh, obviously the penalty on a special teams play that, took away that little edge that Cleveland needed to get out of this and say, hey, look, it's not always pretty, but we're just getting through these. We've won two out of three of these type games now, and we're just, you know what? We could be six and five when Deshaun comes back. Well, that's going to be really hard to do when you lose um, these types of games. And so I think I don't have as much of a problem with Cleveland overall because it's all about when Deshaun Watson comes back and he's got to elevate him. Uh, it's just hard to lose when you win the statistical battle on on both sides of the ball there's that third side but both sides of the ball I mean like I said it's it's very uncommon to lose a game like that and so frustrating for them for the Ravens I mean I'm with you on the passing game by the way Mark Andrews nice job under center did you see him go under center that was his biggest play of the day toss sweep to, they're lucky that, he, that the snap didn't break his finger. That would be classic Ravens uh, about right now that he'd be out for like uh, two weeks. But uh, you see flashes. You know, I think Lamar Jackson, when he, when his mechanics are great, can really, that's true with most quarterbacks, but if you go first quarter, 538, second and six, midfield, great mechanics, set his feet, not up on his toes, perfect ball, Duvernay, 31-yard gain, there's flashes of that. There's not enough consistency of that. And not a football coach, but I think it's the consistency of those mechanics are really important. I think that's the next step for him to make. We can talk about the offense uh, and what needs to be done. Is the Roman scheme? Do we need to do this? Do we need more weaponry? Some of those things could all be true. But I think for him, just becoming more consistent uh, in the in his fundamentals will help them a great deal in some of those tough third down situations, consistency drive to drive, uh, especially in the absence of some of those other things. I think we see this a little bit, even with a much more accomplished quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Things have fallen apart a little bit around Aaron Rodgers. Well, now it's not okay to be the fadeaway jump shooter who dirts the screen in the flat. You have to you have to hit all of those now more consistently because the margin for error is smaller. And so that's where I think I would love to see, like I mentioned on Rodgers, but I'd love to see it with with uh, with Lamar Jackson. I don't know if it'd be enough to overcome, but I think it would help him on some of those plays that sustain drives. Yeah, I'd lo- I want to watch the All-22 of this game and just more of the Ravens passing game from that perspective just to see what's going on with them right now because it just – it just feels ugly and it just feels like all this heavy personnel that they have and like the pieces I'm just not sure fit with what you need to be to throw the ball consistently in 2022. And we probably knew that coming in, but the running game is not devastating enough combined with a complimentary passing game right now for them to be uh, a potent offense with this current construction, no matter how well Lamar is playing. Yep. Yep. Uh, they did have a drive late in the game where they uh, ran the ball 10 times in 12 plays, including eight times in a row. That includes some quarterback runs. And they just fumbled at the end of it. So if they don't fumble at the end of that, they probably punch it in. Maybe they punch it in and they win 30 to 20. And people go, yeah, you know, it wasn't as pretty as we wanted it to be. But uh, 
you know, nice touchdown pass by Lamar to finish off that run heavy drive or whatever. So it's not quite as far away as sometimes it seems. I think some of these little things, but when I watch Lamar at the end of the first quarter and he's his, he's thrown and he's waving the ball around with one hand. Well, guess what? Fourth quarter against the Giants, that's the turnover. Those are the little things like that that are more important when it's harder to play offense because of personnel or whatever. I still have faith in their ability to kind of be hanging around there in the division and in the wild card race, right? Like I think in that division, they're since he's playing really, really well, and I think the Bengals may ultimately win the AFC North. But if you look at you know the, the tier below that, can the Ravens be a team that fights for a wild card or tries to win the division? I think the answer to that is yes. With the Browns, if they win some of those games that are close, if they win some of these coin flips, and they do have a chance when Watson comes back to kind of make a push for it. I think that's kind of house money for what the season was supposed to be. Like where they're at right now, it now it's just about 2023 when he plays an entire year. And that's not necessarily surprising. No. And if you look at their next four games, Cincinnati by Miami, Buffalo, and who knows what Tampa will be by then. But, you know, there's not a lot of easy checkmark wins uh, when you're playing the way uh, they have to play, especially with some of the issues they have on defense. So I think it looks like they're not going to be in a position to uh, rally and, and catch a you know wild card or something um, unless something changes in a hurry. All right. I think that's all we got for this week. We'll be back next week with another slate of games. In the meantime, if you guys would, please listen to the Football GM on Thursdays with Mike and Randy Mueller. That's where you can find that. Started last week. Excited to have it on Thursday morning throughout the rest of this season. Also, you guys could subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link is in the description of this podcast. We're doing a lot more stuff on YouTube this year. So if you have not subscribed, I would encourage you to go do that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show, where you can find Mike Sando's pick six column and all of our wonderful NFL coverage. We will be back on Wednesday. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans. This is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, Join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.